0: looked up, I realized I was completely lost and just felt the weight of my misdirection for the first time in my life I couldn't do anything I was totally and utterly helpless God has a space of belonging for me and God will go with me wherever I am I know that God is a God who surrounds me on all sides and holds me in the palm of his hand.
1: Welcome to Creekside Conversations. We're so glad you're joining us today. My name is Tim Anderson. I am the associate pastor here at Creekside Covenant Church, joined with my co-host, John Coster. That's right. And today we have a really special guest. Her name is Addie Wilson-Hyde, and Addie is sharing Just stories of her life with us on our
2: podcast
1: today, which is exciting. It's our second episode. It is,
2: which means we survived the first
1: one. We survived the first one.
2: Right. And we got some critical feedback.
1: Yeah. I don't think I heard that critical.
2: (laughs) Anyway, hi, Addie.
0: Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Very honored to be on the second one. You know, yeah. Yeah. We're
1: glad that you showed up. (laughs) We're really honored to have you, though. I met Addie at the camp that she works at, at Cascades Camp and out in Yelm, Washington. And we had this conversation where it was just really clear that God has been active in your life and has been transformative in your life.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So
1: yeah, Addie, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Just, just some basic info. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, so I work at Cascades Camp and Conference Center in Yelm, Washington, which is actually the same place that I was raised. I was gone for two years. I went to a Cape and Ray Bible school in Sweden and then worked there for a second year and then came back and have been working at Cascades since the beginning of twenty twenty one. So working there currently is the host. I was previously a program intern, but yeah, really love my job there. I am a youth leader at Crossroads Covenant and I'm a member at that church. Yeah some basic info.
2: That's good. Before we met tonight, we got a chance to have dinner with Addie and she shared a little bit of her life and the, the focus of these conversations so far has been around people whose lives have been transformed when they encounter Jesus Christ in a real authentic way. And one of the things that struck me about your story tonight is how you were raised in a Christian home. You were raised going to church from the time you're in diapers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you played a really good Christian for a really long time. But there's a story that takes you to a place where you had a real encounter with Jesus. So I wonder if you could review that period of your life and what it was like before having that real encounter with Jesus.
0: So grew up in a Christian home and was always surrounded by the church in a very real way. Still at Crossroads, a lot of people are like, oh, I remember when you were in diapers. And it's really wonderful to have a very solid home church. Growing up, though, that became very twofold. Unfortunately, my dad was diagnosed with stage four throat cancer when I was 10 and went through about two years of chemo, radiation and recovery. And that really transformed him not only mentally but also physically during that time period, which was really hard to watch and to see at such a young age. But yeah, what made that situation a little bit harder, I would say, was the dynamic between my parents during that period became very tense. And as we went to church, many people celebrating the miracle of my father's life as he recovered, which was, I was there alongside celebrating with and understanding the miracle that God had saved him from death and how close he was to that and i don't know felt very aware of that from a very young age how close to death i felt people were i think because of that experience and yeah was there celebrating my dad's life along with them was also experiencing this tension at home uh, that had shifted and changed and not really feeling available or welcome to discuss that tension, because I felt like it was more important to celebrate what God was doing than talk about anything else. Slowly, that morphed into a really difficult home situation. And I, yeah, lost words to be able to talk about my home and didn't really feel welcome to do so in church. And so I began to very much so compartmentalize the truth and felt that when I was at church... I needed to keep everything that was hard or maybe shameful or anything that wasn't celebrating Christ at the doorstep.
2: Mm. Was there anyone with whom you could confide? Like what was really going on inside?
0: There definitely were people. And I, yeah, one woman in particular, every single Sunday going to church would say, okay, Addy, like, how are you really? But it never felt like that was a true offer. Mm. And I felt like, what will you offer me besides mm. like scripture or prayer? Mm. Like you won't offer me solutions to like stop the tension. And it, I just felt disenchanted with the entire atmosphere of the church mm. and felt very much so like I had to just face things alone. Mm. I couldn't trust anyone there with myself or not that I couldn't trust them, but that's not what it was about, I felt like. And then... As my home situation became more tense, I also felt like I couldn't really discuss things that was happening in my life or in my heart at home either. And so felt very much so isolated in a community, which I think is a common experience, unfortunately, but just this internalization uh, and compartmentalization that was happening.
1: So as you experienced that in church, how did that affect your relationship with God? Did you feel that same kind of compartmentalization with God too?
0: Yeah, I, I think I came to a point in high school and I just decided if Christian culture is a culture of shame and of hiding the truth and of not being a real human being, then I don't want it. Hmm. And I don't want the God that they celebrate if this God is what's making me feel shame. Or mm-hmm. condemnation, because I felt like that—that that was coming from God. I felt like if that's what the people that I saw as Christian elders were saying that that's not right—not necessarily that they were, but felt that—then like that must be what God's saying. Like that, I should feel feel sh- shame and condemnation for all of the bad things in my life.
2: Did you feel like maybe the church was somewhat hypocritical because they talked one thing, but you didn't feel? Open to live out what the teaching was?
0: Absolutely. I think, yeah, I just could look at people in my church and say, I think if I asked you how you were doing, you would never tell me the truth. Mm. And so how can I trust you, like in this human world that we're in right now, if I can't trust you to tell me the truth about anything that you're experiencing, Mm. how can I tell, how can I expect you to tell me the truth about the creator of the universe or who that is, mm-hmm. or what type of love that that God has for me. Mm-hmm. If I if I don't feel like I can be vulnerable or trust you with myself or with who you are, even, then why could I trust you with anything more than that? Especially when I saw like God as very important, and I think that I still felt a realness to God and a reality to who God was. But this internal tension of if that's who God is, though. Then I don't want it. Hmm. So maybe God exists and God is real, but I don't want any part of it.
3: Hmm.
1: Okay. That's tough. I mean, that's a heavy, that's a heavy thing to kind of come to in high school, but also probably something that a lot of high schoolers think and wrestle with and struggle with because they're experiencing real things at home. I'm wondering, Eddie, if you could tell us just a little bit, because it sounds like a your life got to that point right like you know there were probably some good times with your family yeah and just tell us just a little bit about your family and kind of what makes the uh, the wilson tick. <laughs> yeah
0: so both of my parents are retired army which is why we ended up in yelm pretty close proximity to jblm which is a military base yeah. here in the pacific northwest and yeah very strong headed, independent family, I would say. From when I was very young, I got the opportunity to travel to Finland, which is where my dad's mom is from. And yeah, I got to go there a lot and experience family life there. And from when I was eight years old, I started flying there by myself. And from when I was 12 on, I just flew by myself everywhere.
1: And how many hours is that on an airplane by yourself? <laughs> That's
0: about 12 to 15 hours of travel, usually. And so you yeah. get on the plane,
1: <laughs> fly over. Get off the plane and grandma and grandpa are there to pick you
0: up? Yeah, usually my grandma and grandpa or my aunts, uh, depending on who is there.
1: You were telling us a little bit that your family had a motto. Yeah. Tell us about this family motto.
0: So we have two two family mottos that were said very regularly and still to this day actually are said pretty regularly and good reminders I think to keep me humble. One is pain and suffering are the world's greatest teachers. So whenever you experience adversity or a challenge in your life that is like putting you down, I'll be better than this, I can overcome this. And then That's recu- pretty intense. Military yeah. family. Military. Yeah. Pain and go. suffering world's yes. greatest teachers. Yes. Totally. And then also Even as I walked the door to go get the bus in elementary school, my dad would stand there and he'd be like, okay, we are the hides. And like, we are the, we can do anything, and we are the hides. I can fly to the highest mountain. We are the hides. I can swim through the deepest seas. We are the hides. I can do anything, and <laughs> I, I remember
2: special forces. So yeah, he could do that. Right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. But I remember growing older and just saying it through gritted teeth, and I was like, Ah, you're this is dumb. Like I can't. <laughs> I I can do anything, <laughs> and just being so frustrated because yeah. I was like, I can't do anything. I can't can't tie my shoes yet. What do you mean? (laughs) Uh, Okay,
1: so you had this, you know, really kind of can-do, like mind over matter kind of mentality, like growing up. And then your family gets to this point where they're, you know, there's just a lot going on, a lot of challenges. Church doesn't feel sincere or good anymore. Okay, so what happened after that?
0: Yeah. So in high school, there was a period of time where I was like, I'm going to join the military. But in high school, that's where my success was. So unfortunately, in high school, my mom went through a bit of a crisis and had told me, you're the reason that I lived. So along with that, I can do anything attitude was then added on, like, I have the power to make my mom live or die. And so I was just thinking, I have to do everything. So I was like, president of three clubs. I was vice president of FFA. I went to nationals i was doing sports i was doing all of the college courses etc and had been building that up so much internally that i was experiencing panic attacks and like severe depression and just like a state of mania was struggling with some insomnia but then also would like be in class and just fall asleep or at the wheel driving and fall asleep and have to pull over to the side of the road
2: did you really like <laughs> was there any counseling or therapy or did you just power through it
0: i remember I was in sophomore. I went to a physical at the hospital. And she's like, have you experienced any signs of like depression or anxiety? And I said, yes. And she's like, okay, would you be interested in therapy? And I said, yes. And then she talked to my mom and she's like, "Addie, when do you have time? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't have time to do therapy. And she's like, yeah, I don't think you should do that.
1: But there was probably also this mentality. This is just it's normal like, high school stuff. Yeah,
0: you know? you're also, right. Like, also,
2: going to therapy means you're weak and you can't be weak because mm, you're a hide.
1: Yeah. Right? Um,
2: so you clearly you had
1: this this mentality where you had to perform at church, which is kind of why you didn't like going to church. Yeah. And other people were performing too. Everybody was just performing. But then also it was at school because mm-hmm. you were performing there. So you're just going 100 miles an hour. Is that a fair way to kind of put it? all the time. So Um, no wonder you were falling asleep (laughs) on your way home from school because you were just like pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. Where in the midst of all of that was God?
0: Yeah. In reflecting over that period of my life, I think I see God most in the people that were surrounding me even when I didn't want them there. I think Mm. I was like lying to people and trying to stay very locked up inside of myself. And I was still... back to moments of vulnerability and prayer over me and going to my pastor's house and people praying over me. And even though I felt like it wasn't real and didn't trust in it, looking back at that period now and seeing the power of their prayer over my life and also just how miraculous it is that like both of my parents are alive. Yeah. That's yeah. that's sometimes crazy mm, to me to think deal. about given all of their different struggles and my dad's cancer like the miracle of life and just appreciating that. And yeah, and seeing that and thinking about the friends that I had who were mostly not Christian, but I had one really good friend and I, we would sit at Starbucks every Thursday in the fall and we'd be going through this Bible study. And I would feel like I was just talking Christianese and didn't really trust what I was saying. Mm. But it felt like, ah, oh, this is what you do at a Bible study. And I think as I was asking her questions and feeling like she didn't know the answers to any of them, so I could ask. Mm. Like we could sit there and question God genuinely together. Mm. And that yeah. felt really powerful. And even though I, I wanted answers, I didn't trust anyone to give them to me. And I see God's presence in that. And the fact that like he gave me a very, a spirit of questioning (laughs) and of like wanting to know and wanting to be able to trust.
3: Mm.
0: And I think that God has always given me that in a spirit of like, it's hard for me to trust people, but at the same time I want Mm. to trust people and I Mm. want community and I want to be with people, which Mm. I think led into a lot of God's transformation of my life and of my spirit towards him, because as I got to know God and really understand God for myself, I began to be able to trust God.
2: Hmm. So can you tell us a little bit of that journey from inauthenticity to authenticity?
0: Yeah. So God miraculously <laughs> sent me to a Bible school in Sweden, even though I wasn't so gung-ho about Christianity. Yeah. So I went to Bible school still being like, oh, I don't know about God. Probably not. But if... I think there's this whisper in my heart, even though I was denying it the whole time that said like, if there's one place that I'm going to know who God is, and if there's one place that that can convince me to know who God is, it's going to be going to Bible school.
3: Hmm.
1: So you were like phasing out of your faith, basically, just kind of saying maybe it'll like disappear. It's not what I'm going to be about. There might be a glimmer of hope that I'll be a Christian. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So you did what any rebellious teenager would do and you signed up to go to Bible
0: school. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Super rebellious. Just, I think.
1: But you had a plan. Yeah. Right. Of what you would maybe do in Sweden. Yeah. To have a little more freedom.
0: Yeah. I had a family there. And also it's just like, how serious can Bible school be? I was like, whatever I can go. Like I'll be allowed to drink there and like go to parties and stuff like that. Like, Bible school can't be that crazy. And uh, I'm sure that it's full of the same hypocrites that were at my church at home. So
3: that's good. though,
0: man, Uh. (laughs)
1: that that hits home. That's what you were really thinking.
0: Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's not,
1: I mean, and you know, in full disclosure, you were really struggling with hypocrisy that you saw at your church. And it's not because your church is special and, the only hypocritical church that's ever existed, no. right? I mean, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians we struggle with this, right? No. And yet we're not we're not very vulnerable about it and a lot of it, people maybe just aren't vulnerable in general.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I was going
2: to ask you, did you ever wonder while you were being judgmental toward the hypocrisy of <laughs> totally. others your own hypocrisy of living a lie
0: oh absolutely <laughs> i think that i created an internal self-justification system as anybody does when mm. they're lying as anybody does when they have shame mm. it's just this like but i can do it cuz i know why i'm doing it right and like if they're it's like if they're lying to me then what's the difference like they're not going to ask me any deeper questions mm. right and If, Hmm. if I can, if I can hide here, then I can hide anywhere. Like I remember going to, I visited my grand, my mom's parents down in Arizona once and I was walking around their neighborhood and there was an open house and I went in and I told him a fake name and I was like, I'm looking to buy a house down here (laughs) and I was like 17 at the time, but yeah, I could just like fake it off and I was Uh like, yeah, a few of my friends and I are. Going to ASU and we're looking to buy a house. And I like wrote down a fake name and phone number and just like talked to this lady for an hour and a half and just felt (laughs) so comfortable lying. Hey,
2: Tim, have we done a polygraph test on this? Is
0: this
3: a real story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's wild. Just became so comfortable in dishonesty that I was like, who who is even being honest at all? Right. And so it wasn't even, it had gone from beginning in the church and that like culture of like, I can't tell anyone what's going on behind the scenes in my family. Like that's not the truth that we're telling people. It had gone from that church to then feeling that internally, not being able to share with my home, Mm. experiencing shame from my home, not being able to share that in my school life. And then just looking around me and thinking like, if I can't be honest with anyone, I might as well just lie. Mm. That sounds more fun.
3: Mm. Right.
0: And the <laughs> the only place I remember feeling like really honest with people, which I think is so funny now, is on airplanes. I uh, am such a chatter on airplanes. You, <laughs> Most people would hate <laughs> sitting next to me on planes because mm. I'll just I'll talk their ear off. Sure. Why not? Like when am I ever going to see this person again? There's no, Hmm. there's no consequence of truth here. Ah. Whereas there's like a consequence of truth at home. It felt like. Right. And so with a stranger, like I could lie. I could tell the truth. Like there's, there's nothing else going on.
1: So you fled. Yeah. To Bible school.
0: (laughs) I fled the country.
1: And what happened next?
0: Yeah. I, I sat there disenchanted for a while, not wanting to be vulnerable. And I was surrounded by people that were so interesting from all over the world mm. and thought like, that's not what my story is. And I can sit here and I can just be here. And fun fact, I couldn't go out and drink and party at Bible school. It wasn't the freewheeling <laughs> yeah. place you hoped that it would it be. Not... You
2: read the student manual <laughs> before you showed
0: up. It <laughs> should have, yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so bad. Yeah, we had this program in Bible school where every Wednesday someone would share their testimony. And I think I'll be living with these people for nine months and I'll get to know their testimonies and I'll also get to see them in an intimate way that will let me know if that was the truth or not. Mm -hmm. And that really intrigued me. Mm -hmm. And sitting there and being forced, much like a podcast, (laughs) to listen to people's stories Mm -hmm. and to think, like, why would they lie? And this space and the leaders there and the mentors and everyone there felt so genuinely human in sharing their own testimonies and their own mistakes. Hmm. And I thought, wow, these are real people here. Hmm. I don't I feel like I haven't met real people in a long time. And. I think I was still feeling. This barrier, and I was still just doodling in my notebook, mostly, during lectures. And I think God was just slowly pushing my walls down. Hmm. Not necessarily breaking them down and crumbling them, but it felt like it was just like sinking sand. Hmm. and
1: in a, in a good way? In a, like...
0: in, a, in a good way. I think that okay. it was little by little, and I didn't really realize it was happening.
2: Did you share your
0: story? So that didn't come until later. I think I shared my testimony in December. If it had happened earlier than that, I think I would have lied, being totally honest. So
1: between hearing some testimonies at Bible school and then when you did share your story in December, what happened? What changed that?
0: In November, we were assigned a prayer walk, which is a day that we just need to go by ourselves and walk or just be with God and pray. And I said, okay, (laughs) it's cold, but I was like, I'm going to walk. I'm going to go like explore of Sweden. That sounds fun. And I brought my little book with memory verses so I could study for upcoming tests. And I was like reading these memory verses, trying to memorize them, walking through the forest.
2: Just (laughs) a quick question. And I know you said this before, but since you weren't quite sure that God existed. Yeah. You must have felt there was something besides, because nobody could see you. Yeah. This was totally internal. What do you think motivated you to do that?
0: I think it was an experience of freedom that I hadn't felt at home ever hmm, hmm. was just this, this sense of spiritual freedom of there is no one watching me. No one here knows me.
3: Hmm.
0: So it felt like there was no weight to whether I was right or wrong. Hmm. And hmm. so prayed for my grandparents, continued to walk and just being totally distracted by this like internal war that felt like it was happening inside of me. And I was like, why am I here right now? And then there's a point where I looked up and I realized I was completely lost. Like physically, I was in the middle of the forest and I was completely lost (laughs) and I had no idea where I was. And I looked around and I just started sobbing, Mm. totally broke down and just felt the weight of like my misdirection. Mm fall onto my shoulders Hmm. and like physically bring me down to the ground. And I just sat on the side of this trail, sobbing, realizing that I was so lost emotionally and spiritually. And I just had no direction. And I was thinking over and over again just how did I get here Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and thinking like how did I get so far away from feeling like a real person
3: Mm.
0: and I sat there and I prayed God I think you're the only one that can find me and I am surrendering to you right now so that I can get to know you for not for anything that I've known from you from the past, but I want you to start with this blank piece of paper in my life Mm -hmm. and like write who you really are for me because I, I need to know you. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I had felt like nothing was real. Nothing had value.
3: Hmm.
0: And I was like, God, I want to be completely clean and free from anything that I've known from you before. And so I had these huge blisters on my feet. I was like, had been walking for like eight hours that day and found this library bus that was in that neighborhood. I was like, oh, cool. A library bus. And I asked the woman who was driving it and I was like, do you know where Holsby is? And she's like, how do you get out here? <laughs> and i was like i've just been walking <laughs> and she she like pulled up a map on her own phone
1: and did she give you a ride back or did no, you walk no i walked back those uh, those swedes I have know. no compassion <laughs>
0: no i walked back to bible school and i skipped dinner that night and just sat on top of my desk reading my bible i was like okay god like this is me yearning for you later uh, that term we read pursuit of god Mm -hmm. by aw tozer Mm -hmm. and i think like since then it's just been like god i'm pursuing you Mm. and like that's been a prayer of my heart Mm. it's just this pursuit of god and it felt very much so like sitting on the ground in the woods sobbing was where that began but realizing so much more so like I remember telling my testimony again the next year when I was a staff member there and saying that that year of my life had felt like me trying to know God. And then the year that followed working there as I like continued as I knew God and then tried to become more vulnerable with God and trust God with more of myself and understanding like what it really means to surrender to Christ me. Mm-hmm. And I worked at a outreach for old folks at an old old folks home in Sweden and we sang this song after every single performance that we did. It was like a musical outreach from Psalm one thirty nine and it like at the end of it or it really just repeats Psalm one thirty nine five over and over and over and again. Mm-hmm. And um, what's that again? You surround me on all sides and you hold me in your hand. Mm. And so it was just like...
2: That's pretty appropriate.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's pretty
0: good.
2: (laughs) We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back. We're speaking with our guest today, Addie Wilson-Hyde, as she shares her spiritual journey.
0: Unbelievable. February 14th Valentine's Day of that next year while I was working there, I was sledding with some friends and ran into an old ski lift pole with the back of my head <laughs> and was in the hospital for about a month. And I couldn't talk with people. I was in this kind of in and out coma. Sense it wasn't technically diagnosed as a coma, but my brain would be so overwhelmed by light and sound for such small periods of time that I would just pass out. And have to sleep again. Mm. So I like slept for seven days straight pretty much. And during that time I would wake up and I wouldn't know where I was or why I was in the hospital or why I had like an IV hooked to me and like this thing in my neck. And I would get so scared that I would like press the nurse help button. And by the time the nurse came, I would be passed out again Mm. because that like stress and that anxiety Mm. would take so much out of me that I would just fall asleep. And I, yeah, I was in the brain surgery clinic for two weeks because they were debating on whether to operate miraculously. Didn't have to. But every day during that period of time, my doctor would come in and say, okay, like today you're either going to be better and continue to heal or this is it. It was very blunt. And during that time felt so much hopelessness Mm -hmm. and thought okay god like if this panic and if this being able to talk to people for only 10 minutes a day is what you have for me i'm done Mm -hmm. like you've saved me i know who you are now i can die wow if you like brought me here to your feet to die okay but like, if this is it, then I need to be done hmm. mm. because I can't do anything for you like this. And
1: so your trust was at a different level at that point. Right? Yeah. Because you had
0: like, it was Wait. on this mountaintop experience yeah. of Christ and of getting to know Jesus and like fulfilling that ministerial mm. desire and wasn't able to talk to people. I couldn't even pray or like read my Bible. Cause I was too much. So I would sit on my bed and while I was awake, I would just sing Psalm 139.
1: Five. Oh my God.
0: Because for the first time in my life, I couldn't do anything. Hmm. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't drink water by myself. I was totally and utterly helpless. And for being someone that had had full confidence in themselves for so long. And even as I learned how to surrender to God, there was still that pride in my heart and then like being put into a place where I could literally do nothing. Mm -hmm. And just laying there Mm -hmm. and be like, if nothingness is it, Mm -hmm. then take me now. But if you have something for me, keep reminding me of this time and it happens all the time like yeah this summer working at camp every single night i would sing my cabin psalm 139 5 and it was it was awesome and they would like ask me to sing sing me the lullaby
2: you sing in swedish
0: yeah
3: yeah oh my
1: gosh
2: Mm, sorry that was powerful
1: Holy you
3: know, pain molly. and suffering is the
2: best
1: teacher. You
3: know? Yeah, this is exactly
0: it. Like Pain and suffering really brought me to my knees before Christ. Yeah. I mean, nothing else.
2: So reflecting, you know, your story is a gift. Yeah. It's not just a gift for you telling. It's a gift for how it shaped you for who you are.
0: Absolutely.
2: So I think about the journey you've been through. You know, we all go through life journeys, mm. right? And it shapes us. And you're back in an environment of institutionalized Christianity again. Yeah. You work at a camp, and there's plenty of Christianese that goes on there. Yeah. I know, right? Mm. So, how do you process knowing that there are plenty of Addies mm. that are showing up and acting all fine? Like, how do you engage with them in ways that maybe the Holy Spirit can use in you? to maybe disabuse them of the the inauthenticity that they're experiencing but don't have the strength or courage to, like, how do you think about it when you're there?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So I, I led all of the chapel discussions this summer for the high school program out at Cascades, and my main focus and desire for that program was wanting each of those students to authentically know God's word mm-hmm. for themselves, and so I, I think I went a little too Bible schooly, if I'm being totally honest, in those chapel discussions. Like mm-hmm. I went pretty <laughs> per, went pretty heavy on Exodus thirty four, five through eight.
2: Tell me what that is.
0: <laughs> for I am the Lord, your God. The Lord is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And God holds his faithfulness for a thousand generations, mm. but will hide his face to the third and fourth generation, for those that who do not trust in him. And yeah, went pretty deep on that because I think that the reason I chose that scripture was because I I started out saying that, Everyone in a church setting will tell you who God is. Like they know it. Mm-hmm. And right here, God is telling us who God is. And mm-hmm. that's what we can trust. hmm Like it's so important to have Christian people around you and to have a space where you meet with other Christians. But more important even, that you know within your own heart who God is. Mm-hmm. And so we went through a lot of scripture of God declaring himself <laughs> and yeah, like went through the seven I am statements and that passage. And also Psalm 139 in just desiring a heart for people to personally know who God is <laughs> before looking to other people. Because I think that although you can get strength from that, having that stability, And something that I really needed and desired was knowing that for myself and feeling like I have studied and I have like personally gone through trials that lead me to know God's faithfulness for me or to me. Mm -hmm. And wanting other people to be able to reflect through their lives and say, okay, like it's hard to see God but also I know that Jesus was sitting with me in this grief and Mm. in this pain Mm. and in this trial. Like I know that God is a God who surrounds me on all sides and holds me in the palm of his hand.
1: So you were in the hospital trying to relearn some important things. Just tell us what you had to relearn.
0: Yeah, so I started out in diapers. That's going, Could,
2: that's going in the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm totally, I am totally, I always tell this to
0: people. I, I actually was spoke at youth group two weeks ago uh. and I was talking about like how we can set up like pillars of remembrance for God in mm. our lives. And I was like, for me, going to the bathroom is a pillar of remembrance <laughs> because like-
1: The kids are like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. no, it's like, sometimes I remember just like, mm. oh my gosh, like a year and a half ago, I was wearing diapers and two nurses had to carry me to the toilet. Yeah. Wow. And a year and a half ago, someone else had to bathe me. Like I, I had to sit down in the shower. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: How was God speaking to you during that time? I know you mentioned you had had this really honest conversation. God, if, if this is all it is, I know you, I can come home. Yeah. Or if I'm, if there's more, remind me of this. So in that, in that recovery time, what was that like? How did God encourage you? How did he meet you? How did you talk to God?
0: Yeah. I, after the brain injuries and like, even after therapy and going to physical therapy and occupational therapy, and then coming back, believe it or not, going back into a home that is also full of 70 other people is not the best and most conducive area to heal from a brain injury. I remember just like sitting on my bed and like watching people pass by and just like the crunching of the gravel outside of the house, like hurting my head. Hmm. But then just being like, I just want to be with them and not being able to Hmm. for like another month almost. And like trying to sit in on church services and not being able to do that. And I remember it was so wonderful they left the door open in the back of the chapel so i could open up my bedroom window and listen and just like hear the worship because i like couldn't even be downstairs and listen to it because it was too loud there but it's like upstairs and listening to that because Hmm. ah and just crying and like not being able to sing like like really sing yeah like i had like whispered my song to myself also like yearning that so much mm. and so dearly. and like God healed me miraculously fast. I wasn't supposed to be able to play like any sports for two years, but came back here for a like one year checkup, did a CT scan and a bunch of neurofunction tests. they're like, if if I didn't see your CT scan and the crack in your skull, That's still healing, and like the scar there, I wouldn't know.
2: Fascinating.
0: Like, from being where my Swedish doctors and everyone was saying, and also knowing like this is as good as it could get at every single point along that journey, like knowing that maybe I'll have to live on first floors for the rest of my life, and maybe. I, like, will, like, <laughs> this is silly, but I remember sitting in my bed and thinking, I will never be able to, like, take my kids to Disneyland and, like, sobbing about that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I was just like, I'll never, like, could I even go to, like, their concerts? Like, if they had oh any gosh. school events? Yeah, like, right. would I even be able to, like, handle kids like if my child was like screaming like would that put like what what could I even do in my life Mm. and the answer was like it could stop here and I couldn't do any of that or I could take another step forward in healing Mm. and that in so many ways was not up to me like there's there's nothing that I can do to heal my brain faster mm. there's nothing like that's why i got sent home after therapy because they were like you can walk again and you can play solitaire for 40 minutes by yourself so that's all that we can do for you <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> really like you graduated I, I yeah so i got how, this how
2: long ago was this
0: that was a year and a half ago
2: 18 months ago 18 months is when you had the accident
1: yeah and, and that's, this was in the pandemic, right? So yes. your your parents couldn't come. Your no. family couldn't come. And, no one could come except and, people in Sweden. Yeah. Right?
0: Imagine, <laughs> this is something I also realize sometimes and I feel so bad for my parents for, like being a parent of a child that is in hospital care, a like neural surgery clinic, who can't talk to you because it exhausts them too much. And so having to have like your people from your Bible school video call, your child while they're sleeping in their hospital bed not moving oh man and like while i was in the hospital i also got a gastrointestinal infection which like complicated things even more and so then it was just my dad who has been in the hospital a lot mm-hmm. as like he his body is not doing well because of military service
1: he's a cancer survivor yes right? exactly so he's, he was under heavy treatment had a similar experience to what you had right
0: yeah and i remember calling him quite a bit after and i was like yeah i was going through my medical records just trying to like understand what was going on like what the doctors did to me because i just didn't know for right, so much of it right. and i also excuse me had remembered incorrectly right like, cuz you had a brain injury yeah i guess yeah. Yeah.
2: smoked that for a long time yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and my dad was i was like yeah but like i wasn't ever like I wasn't ever gonna die, die, and my dad was like, "No, like when you're in the hospital like that, when your immune system is so compromised, anything can kill you."
3: Right.
0: And he just like he started crying. I was like, "Oh my gosh, Dad, no!"
1: And the sledding accident, what you lost consciousness for mm-hmm. some reason, yeah, right? you don't also know. Also unknown. Also unknown. And then, and then your head hit a ski, ski lift, lift pole. pole. Yeah. So the fact that you made it to the hospital at all.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: okay. So you, you make it out of this season. Yeah. Right. How long did it take you to fully recover?
0: I think the hard part about that is full recovery from a brain injury is such an ongoing and long process. I think there are still parts of me that are recovering from that brain injury. So the thing with recovering from a brain injury is that there's not a point when you're like, "Oh, I'm exactly who I was before." Incredible. Wow, restored health. There's okay. there's not that like sure. there's not that moment of like a, "Oh, I broke my leg. I can walk on my leg now." There's not like that, that moment that happens in a sense. But I think I was able to start work again in late April, early May, like at varying degrees and very like two hours or maybe three hours of work a day and then slowly increase that into the summer. So I went home on July 10th.
1: 2021.
0: Yeah, 2021. And had this complete moment of like four steps backwards immediately, Mm -hmm. which was terrible and like hit this wall of post-traumatic depression and like couldn't get out of bed again. And was just like sobbing and couldn't be around my parents for very long because I would get overstimulated. And now I'm back home with the same expectations and the same people as when I left. And I don't have any worth again Mm. because I can't do any of the things. And it was another time of just me praying to god and being like okay if four steps backwards is where you have me right now then i need you i need some give so that i can live life Mm -hmm. and i slowly i think found life again and doing things and was i don't know just feeling very out of sorts for about two weeks and they couldn't do anything, and then made a really dumb decision to go and work at Cascades as a counselor for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Tylenol and a lot of mercy from God got me through that week. I remember we have this time called FOB or flat on bunk time with our campers, and I had told my campers at the beginning of the week because I was like, I know that this will affect me, so I'm just going to tell them up front. I told them, hey guys, like, I recently had a brain injury and I'm still going through that. So if I like step out every once in a while and another counselor comes and takes care of you or anything like that, that's what's going on. It has nothing to do with you. I just need some space so I can heal. And they were super understanding of that And during this flat on bunk time. They would all be like, "Okay, everybody, be quiet. Be quiet. She needs, she needs quiet time." <laughs> and it was awesome. They were so they were like these fourth graders that That's cool. were having some like internal like inner conflict with themselves. But when it came to me, they were so Aww. sweet and just like so aware. And I felt so guilty because I was like, "That's not a weight that they should be carrying." But I was like, "Thank you, Jesus, mm. for these kids." And like even though i like had to step out during a few meals and like couldn't handle the noise of the dining room like when we were in the cabin they were so wonderful and like i sang that lullaby to them every night as well and like prayed over each of them and just like those quiet moments and be like no like this is where i needed to be right now hmm. and then like after that i actually got hired by cascades because they're like hey, you want a job? And I said, yes, I do. Because I didn't think that I would be able to do university, but I was like, I need something to fill my time. I can't just be sitting in a bed. And also the fact that I had been there as a counselor meant that they knew everything that was going on with me health-wise because I had been very upfront with them about that. And they were super flexible and gracious in that. And yeah, started working there. And that fear of hypocrisy of a church came back. And... Just this distrust of like my hometown, like leached in again. Mm. And I went and talked to a few of my mentors about that feeling and about what I had experienced and just like was honest with them for the first time. Like even though they had been my mentors, like my whole life, like since childhood, I was just like, I need to be honest with you. Because
1: you were talking about them. Yeah. You were saying, I feel like you've been hypocritical.
0: Exactly. And I felt like our church has been hypocritical and I want to talk to you about that and so spoke with them and had really good vulnerable and intentional conversations with them about the church not only our specific church but also just like what the church looks like and what that means and yeah went back and thought okay like I cannot be a Christian island like I can't think that now that i have found god for myself and i believe in god and i trust in god like that that's good enough and i can't just like stay by myself Mm -hmm. like a i need a community of believers around me and b i need a a space of ministry like we're called to be mentors and mentees Mm -hmm. and i began slowly like the next february so a year after my brain injury i started leading at the local youth group, and making really, really solid connections with the middle schoolers and high schoolers there that have meant so much to me in being able to really like feel like I was doing something hmm. and having honest discussions with them. And oftentimes, it's very hard for me to be in Yelm again. Oftentimes, I very much so feel like I haven't done anything. Like, I'm back where I started. Mm-hmm. But even just this last weekend, I felt like, no, like God has me here right now for a reason. And this is good. Mm -hmm. Like I belong here. And like, God, God has a space of belonging for me and God will go with me wherever I am. And that includes right here, right now. And I think that that's just been something that I've continued to learn about and continued to want to break down in myself is this belief. Like I had that experience with God in Sweden. And I love that space. And I love that ministry, everything about that. And I cannot think that because my previous faith experience here in this space was poor, and then I had a good experience somewhere else. Like that does not mean that God is like less than in this space. Mm -hmm. And that's also something just with campus or camp ministry in general. That's a huge problem, mm. like that idea of a camp high or like a spiritual high from an event or from a series of events in your life. And I don't know, trying to be very honest with like the high schoolers that I was with, I was like, don't, don't camp high. <laughs> like, don't do that. Because God's going to go with you yeah. wherever you go like, next. Yeah, God is right. with you everywhere that you are. Yeah. And there is hope in that.
2: Mm. So back to my question again, I maybe oh, you okay. already answered it, yeah. But how is God speaking to you today? through scripture or whatever. Like I know you've got yeah. Psalm 139, but how is he speaking? I mean, he is obviously yeah. just your reflections there, but anything that you can, that comes to mind.
0: I think a dangerous part of who I am is pride <laughs> in the things that I've done or accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I think God is continually me like how to pursue him in humility And just, like, the poor and needy posture of my spirit. And, like, I am poor and I am needy. Like, that's David's words in that psalm. For God. Mm -hmm. I think continuing a posture of, like, remembering nothing that I do, like, will, will satisfy that. And nothing that I do like dictates my own health or my own healing or like nothing that I do dictates the value of my life. That's all God. Right. Because I, <laughs> I've been in a situation where I, you know, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's nothing to do mm-hmm. both like physically and then a feeling of that emotionally as well. Right. And continuing to remind myself, even as I, and like fully functioning and can go to the bathroom by myself and do everything that like, that I am still needy for God and I am still poor in spirit. Mm. Yeah. And that I not only will I never be satisfied, but I can't be satisfied. Mm. Yeah. I need to pursue contentment, but a contentment that goes alongside with a pursuit.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think is what I've been trying to wrestle and how to be someone or like something that I told, tell people all the time, just in general, it's like be a human being and not a human doing.
3: Ooh,
2: and
1: ooh. and know,
0: like being in Christ and not doing in Christ.
1: I also wanted to just throw in here that, you know, out of twenty 21, so you have a lot <laughs> yeah, of your story totally. left to live. <laughs> So and we all do, right? But I think just want to say thank you because you know, it's a deeply personal story and you you've been through a lot to to make it back from a place that might have felt really hopeless. And so sharing about that experience and how God walked with you during that time gives hope to me, but I know it's going to give hope to a lot of people. And there are people who are in the same exact circumstances that you were in who will be so grateful that somebody else knows what it's like right and also that there's somebody else who knows what it's like to to be fighting for your life and also to know that god is with them in the middle of that that's a really big deal and so i'm just really grateful for for everything you've shared tonight
0: thank you so much for having me
2: hey a note to our listeners uh so after we were done with our conversation with Addie we realized that we had failed to record the song that she sang to her campers every night when she was a camp counselor. It's in Swedish. It's absolutely lovely. Uh, it's Psalm 139, and we wanted to share it with you.
0: Du mig på alla sidor du mig i
1: you know, that story is just so encouraging to me because it's a reminder that God is with us in every circumstance. Now, hopefully, Addie's story encouraged you to continue to look for Jesus in your life. So today, just go in peace, knowing that the God who held Addie up, who surrounded her with his hands in each season of her life, is the same God that is going and walking with you. Thank you so much for listening today. Would you join us again soon here on Creekside Conversations?